0: Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick.
0: (laughs) Dangerous mid-morning debate with the Great Dictator.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. We have departed Westminster for the moment after last night's shenanigans drove yet another barrier in front of Brexit and the Prime Minister's plans for getting out of the European Union by the end of October. The craven Remainers in Parliament engineered voting for the bill but then in the same session voted to delay its passage. There is no clear reason for doing so. They have had plenty of time to scrutinise the withdrawal agreement. Indeed, a Tory MP, Zach Goldsmith, revealed last night that Labour actually ran out of speakers an hour before the debate ended, despite demanding more time... To actually debate it. Today we will revisit the Brexit countdown clock to see whether we need to readjust it and we'll listen to yet another episode of Prime Minister's Questions, to which it promises to be quite feisty. Meanwhile, over in Brussels, Donald Tusk is pondering what length of extension to grant Boris Johnson, who says he doesn't want one. Instead, he's threatening to call a general election, which at present he cannot do. Are we clear so far? We'll be talking to Lord Finkelstein about what happens next. 0344 499 1000. We'll bring you all the latest news on this terrible breaking news uh, about 39 people being found dead in the back of a lorry in Essex. They would appear to be uh, migrants who had come here illegally from Bulgaria. We don't yet know any more than that, but we will bring you details as soon as we have them. Later on, we will also be addressing the Harry and Meghan problem, for that is what it is now. After all the hoo-ha over their TV documentary, it's now being put about that the world's most unpopular couple are actually in the process of modernising the royal family. This will come as news to the Queen, of course, and to Harry's brother, William, who clearly fears for his health. Plus, as ever, we'll be taking your calls because you are, of course, the reason we do all this. How are you feeling today? 0344 499 1000 four four nine nine one thousand. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio,
2: the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Now, there's a fascinating piece in the Times this morning, written by Daniel Finkelstein, Lord Finkelstein, uh, otherwise known as. The DUP's answer is always the same, uh, says Daniel, and it is no. And uh, let me just read you this one little passage. Uh, if you say no to the EU membership, uh, the DUP has rejected all of them. It said no to a hard border, no to the May deal, is now saying no to the Johnson deal. Is abstained on no deal, presumably worried that if it said no to no deal, then the double negative might mean that it had accidentally said yes to something. It's a fascinating piece. It's absolutely true. Uh, let's talk to Daniel Finkelstein now. Daniel, very good morning to you. Good
4: morning to you. Good thank morning. you.
3: Thank you very much indeed. It's, 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 it's very well written, this. I know that's going to sound slightly patronising, but it's very whimsical in its kind of uh, tone, because the one <laughs> thing that the DUP is not, of course, is whimsical. <laughs>
4: yes. I mean, I... I uh... Obviously, I um, spent a lot of time reading and thinking about the DUP uh, before writing it. But actually, when I did write it, I enjoyed myself. Uh, it does turn out they have pretty much said uh, no to everything. I, I, I found um, when I was researching Ian Paisley that he said that rock music was satanic. And yes. uh, he was like, no to Elton John at Stormont. So he, he, is, he does say no to everything. And, and I, I heard what you had to say about the last night. But of course, if the DUP, who are Brexiteers, had voted with the government on the programme motion, it would have won. So it wasn't just um, r- remain as a craven or not craven. It was actually the DUP as well. Because even though they support leaving the European Union, they don't support any method for doing so or not having any method either. Uh, so they say no to that. Uh, yes. So I just thought it was right for Sapphire.
3: No, quite indeed. And a funny thing about um, about the DUP as well, and I've got this theory which I always put to people, and you can tell me whether or not you can dismiss it out of hand. My theory about the sacking uh, or the deselecting, if you like, of the, or taking the whip off the 21 Tory MPs was a deliberate move done in a way to sort of neuter the DUP, because after that, the DUP was no longer as relevant to the government because they couldn't help them get anything through. <laughs> well, it
4: certainly was a theory. I'm not probably sure they had probably thought it through quite as much as that. And I'm... Um, And actually, had they not removed the votes from the 21, I suspect more of those people would have felt incumbent to vote with the government last night. There's been a sort of, once those people had had the whip removed, about half of them are now with the government on everything, hoping, I think, for a way back. The other half are now voting against the government on things like the programme motion, and that does, which was the the timetabling thing last night, and that was one of the reasons why we lost. So I, I think it will prove to have been quite a serious tactical error.
3: Well, also the thing that I find unusual about this situation that we now find ourselves in, even even through all the various bizarre situations we have been in over the last three years, is that this appears to be playing more into the hands of the Brexit party in a No Deal uh, than than ever, doesn't it? Well, I'm not sure. It, it, it depends what you think. If Boris Johnson gets his election uh, and he
4: fights it on the basis of this deal uh, and leaving the European Union, a lot will depend on whether the League vote splits. Do we really think? Leave voters will decide not to vote for Boris Johnson when the obvious consequence of that is that we will have a Remain Parliament. Uh, If uh, the Conservatives were to win a majority, probably leave under this deal. So every person who wanted to... I have to admit this, I was not one of those, even though I'm a Conservative peer. I I, I think every person will have that decision to make. What do they do? Do they end up splitting the... uh, leave vote or not. I think in those circumstances, actually, Boris Johnson will take the lion's share of the leave vote.
3: Yes, I think that's probably right, but I suspect he'd rather not have an election before we've actually left. I mean, what's the principle now? Because presumably he's kind of stalled everything, so he hasn't actually withdrawn the bill yet. He has got the ability, if he wishes to, to put it back to Parliament and just go through the motions of going bit by bit through the withdrawal bill, which can't take forever, surely? Look, um if he decides to have an election, that is risking Brexit. But if he decides to have Brexit,
4: that's risking the election because after he gets Brexit, he, the thing that unites Tories uh, behind them uh, and uh, probably discriminates and splits the vote on the other side is Brexit. So he'd probably do better with a, a general election that was called before he left. Uh, but obviously, if he does that, uh, he's risking Brexit. Um, so it was interesting to me. I thought... Uh, Brexit came first before everything else. Now, I'm not so clear. I think, you know, what he said last night in the pulling of the bill, I understood the frustration of it, but I think as a strategy, it does put Brexit in question because, you know, the Tories can't guarantee to win an election. They absolutely can't. You could easily get a lot of tactical voting, even with the Tories miles ahead. They could win remain seats and leave seats, fall short. And uh, now I'm talking here about the, the big, solid leave mm. seats. Um, Uh, because they're also solid Labour, and find that they didn't win a majority. So it's certainly a risk to do that. I personally, um, if I was somebody who wanted Brexit, I would have sucked up the programme motion, accepted that it means that it'll take a bit of time, not got myself so hooked on October the 31st, because the prospect now is that within a couple of months, come hell or high water, with this parliament, this deal will get through. That's, That's what I think last night's votes did demonstrate, but I do I do see what he decided to do. Look, he thought, this bill's going to get cut to ribbons. I can't guarantee to win it. I could win a general election. It's worth the risk. Mm. But it is a risk. But then,
3: of course, uh, he has to then get a general election, which is not clear uh, that he can do either.
4: No, I mean, I, I do think that is extraordinary. So we've got to revisit the fixed Parliament Act. It's absurd to have Parliament trying to instruct the government how to conduct international negotiations mm. by leaning over his shoulder, telling the Prime Minister to send a letter he doesn't believe in, it's a humiliation for the country, in my opinion. So um, I I think not being able to call the election is actually pretty scandalous. And although I haven't been um, angry, as maybe uh, more resolute Leavers have been about uh, Parliament before, because I think up until now, the dispute has been about what sort of deal we have, and lots of Remainers did actually vote with Theresa May's deal. This issue, not calling a general election, the public's right to think that is, ridiculous. You can't have a government that can't pass a Queen's speech, can't pass a government, it can't pass a budget, can't pass this, uh, its foreign policy on Brexit, uh, and can't call an election. Um, and, uh, um, and the reason they're being stopped is because the Labour Party um, thinks it can't win a general election, which may be wrong, actually, by the way. Mm. Um, but uh, that is not a sufficient reason, really. So I do think that issue... People are right to be angry about
3: that. Yes, I think so. And are we of the opinion collectively, generally speaking, that basically uh, uh, we're now waiting to see what comes out of Brussels in terms of an extension, which could be a flex extension, I've been told this morning, uh, which would mean it would be, you know, if we were able to move out of, break, out of the European Union before the end of the extension, that would be possible. Or it might yeah. be until January 31st. What's your thoughts about that?
4: Well, I, th- I think they'll give us the longer extension. And even a flex extension doesn't quite do what Boris Johnson wants. What he wants is for the European Union to say now, look, you can have a technical extension. We see you're about to pass this deal. To help you do that effectively, we will say you have to leave by the end of uh, November. That will force Parliament to adopt a new programming motion, a new timetable motion, which will get things done. It will give a little bit more time. Uh, Boris Johnson won't suffer too much from not leaving on October the 31st because uh, he's left by November the, uh, the 30th. So uh, that would be his ideal... Uh, then he wouldn't hold that election. But I think they won't do that. I think they don't want to get their fingerprints on it and they therefore will say, yes, you can leave by the end of November, but if you haven't left by the end of November, uh, we'll allow you to go to the end of December and then to the end of January uh, if you want. And uh, that's what's called a flex extension in other words, giving you one month at a time, but agreeing it all now. And that's not enough probably for Boris Johnson. I think in those circumstances his threat of an election would probably hold, but it is a risk.
3: Yeah, everything really is at this point. Conservative MP Mark Francois was on uh, with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning. He says uh, that he believes that the DUP has offered a sort of olive branch now uh, to Boris Johnson, saying, you know, why don't you sit down and talk to us again? So perhaps the game is not yet over. Well, you know,
4: sitting down with the DUP, only works if you give in to them, um, because (laughs) they don't move. Somebody said, uh, somebody in the DUP once said... um, they think we're going to blink, but they don't realise we've cut off our lid. Yes. Um, so they don't move. If, if there's something that they want that is in the deal, um, then they might be willing to uh, accept... Um, if it's compatible with the deal, they might be willing to accept it. I don't know whether there is such a thing. Um, it doesn't look to me like there is. I can't see how they accept the basic deal that's on the table. Um, but... May, I suppose there's always a chance that that will happen, where, where, the, where human beings are involved. It would be quite alien to the history of the DUP if they were to do that.
3: Yes, it really would. But then we are in, as we keep saying, uncharted territory. We're even in the uncharted territory bit of the uncharted territory. You know, and we, just, we haven't been anywhere like this before. I don't think anyone can quite believe that this is where we've got to. <laughs> it is extraordinary. Yeah, it really is.
4: So the, truth, the, truth, the truth is, I supported having a referendum because I did think this was a big constitutional question. And, mm. and When anyone says to me, did you make a mistake, I always point out, look, in the election, we voted in the referendum, we voted to leave. That's yeah. something Parliament would never have agreed to. And that is itself a justification for what David Cameron did. But the truth is, when you have a referendum, you've got these two competing mandates. The Parliament has got a mandate to carefully uh, look at all the details of... Leaving—that's what we pay MPs to do, right? And they study the details of those things while everyone else is going to work doing their job. Um, and if you do that, uh, that couldn't—that you might have a parliament that clashes with the referendum mandate. Referendum mandates—a direct mandate, in other words—and a parliamentary mandate are quite likely to clash. So we're in uncharted territory because we've done something kind of unprecedented, but mm. on a very big on a very big issue. I'm not. I think we should be less fussed about it. So I think it has happened. Um, but, uh, and, and it's aggravating, but it's not the end of the world. We'll sort this out. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, and Parliament, I think, does have to obstinately insist on its right to do its job, right? Um, to scrutinise the legislation properly. And the rest of us also have to, have to say to Parliament, yes, but we have got a referendum mandate and you have to implement it.
3: Yes, and exactly. I think, and I think, I think the people have seen through all of this kind of, you know, nonsense about the scrutiny, to be fair, because, yes, they need to scrutinise it, but they can't scrutinise it forever. And clearly there are people inside Parliament who would be very happy to be scrutinising it this time next year. Look, I think, I think that's true. Um,
4: I think to some people, for some people it was a cover.
3: To be honest, I, I'm a member of the House of
4: Lords and I think it was quite a tight timetable. I think um, it would have been better it would be better to have a longer timetable for a complicated piece of legislation but you don't need months right you could have a few a few extra parliamentary days would have been enough
3: yes so there's no real reason actually daniel that we could not have this say brought back to parliament by boris johnson allow the scrutiny to go ahead and really by the end of october we could probably be passing the bill
4: well we could have done i,
3: I think there's a there isn't a
4: bad case for like another couple of weeks yeah. right in the middle of november right. I, i've i've never and I, i'm not on, you know, October 31st it's a talismanic issue. The problem is, without any programming motion, um, you could end up going on for months. So yeah. what I, I hope is that in the next 48 hours, the government will realise it can come back with a programming motion that uh, lasts, say, another couple of weeks, mm. and it could get that through. And it does only need seven or eight people, and it has got Tories who might shift? So it could it could bring the programming motion back. It could get a program program that lasts till the middle of November, rather than just the end of October. Uh, and it might just persuade a few people. Rory Stewart is an example of that, who voted against the government on the program motion last night, to come back. People who think three days is quite tight, and it is quite tight actually. Mm. Um, so uh, that's what I. That would be the resolution I would hope for. I'm not. I'm not um, holding my breath.
3: No. Well, very dangerous to hold your breath in these dangerous times, I'm afraid, because, of course, it looks <laughs> as though you might be holding it for a while. Daniel, thanks very much indeed. Daniel Frankenstein, there, Times columnist, uh, member of the House of Lords on the Tory side, of course. Uh, but a man being very reasonable there about what it is that can be done, uh, and what should be done, really. I want to hear from you, of course. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. This is the voice of common sense, very largely because you are the people that provide much of it, as well as our guests. We very much value uh, our listeners as well, unlike
2: the other lot. The
3: Now, when you see big headlines, Harry and Meghan's aide saying palace is stoking hysteria, Uh, the couple are single-handedly modernising the monarchy, the courtiers are stoking up hysteria against the Duchess. Apparently, they're going to have a six-week break, by the way, coming up, uh, because they need some family time uh, after all of the busyness that they've been getting into. I don't know who's advising these guys, but I tell you what, uh, if it was in the days of Princess Diana, which Charles Ray uh, covered for the Sun, in and out through all sorts of different problems, uh, it would be very different indeed. Charles, a very good morning to you. Welcome.
5: Morning, Michael.
3: So nice to talk to you after all these years. I didn't, uh, uh, I didn't realize that you were available for consultation. We would have had you on earlier. (laughs) <laughs> now what is going available. on what is going on i mean prince harry I used push. to be the darling of the british public he was you know the famous action man figure that went out and fought for his country you know he was a great uh in sort of investigator of of uh of all sorts of things he started the invictus games you know everybody loved him he marries a woman uh, and even at the marriage and the wedding everybody was pretty happy but now it's just gone absolutely you know down the toilet is not it?
5: Uh, It it has, and I I wish I could uh, say to you, well, this this is what's gone wrong and this is what they can do to put it right. I mean, this latest thing about uh, them um, single-handedly modernising the royal family, I don't know which aide this is that they talk to, but he's got some good drugs he's been taking, that's all I can Mm. can say. Um, uh, I mean, as you quite rightly said, let's not forget that the Queen Mother modernised the royal family, so did the Queen, so did Princess Diana, so did Prince Charles, so did Prince William. And you know this. This is just this is just piffle. I don't know where they're getting all this stuff from, um, and and I don't think whoever it is that if they are real aides of uh, Meghan and Harry. I don't know where they're, 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 they're getting all this stuff from because it's only adding fuel to this fire that it doesn't look as if they're going to be able to put out.
3: Well, exactly right, and and also to, to leak stuff to something like CNN, which doesn't, as far as I know, I even have a royal correspondent, looks to me like but it's been Ma- sorry, go on
5: sorry i apologize but max foster is supposed to be the royal correspondent but you're absolutely right if, if you're going to turn to somewhere to find out you know what you think is right about the royal family you aren't going to go to to cnn you're going to you know stay stay here where 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 it's closer but but these stories that are coming out and you know are not helping the couple at all um you know, there's a, a brilliant piece written by my old chum Richard Cain in the Mail this morning, yes. you know, explaining quite rightly that Diana did the TV interview uh, and Prince Charles did the TV interview, both of which did not did not do them any good whatsoever. And, you know, Harry has not learned by his parents' mistake at all. I mean, it was most of the interview with Tom Bradby, which I thought was very, very good It focused on their charities and the work that they do. And then, bizarrely, went into all this poor me stuff. You know, we're, we're, we're picked on, everything's uh, not fair. And for Meghan to actually suggest that the 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 tab the British tabloids, uh, they don't have anything like that in America. Well, Mike, as you well know, there's the National Enquirer, there's the New York Post, and there's TMZ, the, 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 that website channel who fabricated stories with the cooperation of her
3: own father. Yes. I mean, I just don't know what... What well, I mean, she, so. she, she sits on, on, on the camera as an actress, you know. Every time I look at her, I feel like she's acting. You know, that's what she does. Yeah, she... That's her that's her main kind of, you know, emotion, if you like. And she can turn it on and turn it off whenever she wants to. And it's very clear that she's trying to prepare, to present herself as this kind of ingenue, uh, this innocent, you know, that, oh, my God, I didn't know what I was doing. I married into this family and look what's happened. She's been married before. She's been an actress in Hollywood. She's lived exactly. in that celebrity lifestyle. So the idea that she's somehow been being taken advantage of and victimised by the ghastly tab. I mean, she should have been around when you guys uh, and I were, were, were being tabloid <laughs> journalists, because it's a lot nicer now.
5: It, it is a lot nicer now, and it's a lot more controlled now. Yeah. So let's not let's not forget that. And also as well, as you quite rightly say, she's used to the publicity. She's used publicity uh, in her previous career as an actress. Right. And I, and I, I accept that moving into the royal family is like going you know from um, Catherine Middleton has managed to do it with aplomb. Yes. She's brilliant at it. I mean she is a total ambassador for um for the royal family. I just I, I mean you just look at the two uh, at the two royal tours that they've just had. Both of them are very were brilliant in their in their own ways. Mm. South Africa and Pakistan. And then Harry decided, you know, why he did it, I'm not suggesting he shouldn't uh, sue newspapers, that's entirely up to him at all. But why do it on the on the last night of a very successful royal tour where the coverage in all the papers and in all the media was wall-to-wall praise for the couple? Yes. And it's just been totally destroyed. And now they then, they want privacy, they want to be private, and they then cooperate with a a, a, a documentary on, on, their, on the on the on the pair of them, saying how fragile they all are, and they need time and, and space. You can't have it, boss.
3: Well, you can't. And also now, today, apparently, Prince Harry's basically making it clear that he's fine and he's not fragile. So, you know, which is it? It's one or the other. Because when you've got your own brother who you're clearly not speaking to for one reason or another, and there are many varying different versions of events as to why that's the case. But basically, your brother's not talking to you. You're taking advice from a law firm which is not the royal law firm. You're doing documentaries which I would imagine you haven't had permission to do from the royal family as as an organisation. And quite frankly, you know, They've gone rogue, basically, haven't they? Well, it looks, it looks that way. I, I
5: just don't know what the solution is. And you know, just touching on the the, the, the the other royal aide who says, you know, he's fine again. Who? Where is this royal aide placed? You know, it's it's difficult to to, to work out. Um, uh, in, the, in the days when I did it, I knew who I was talking to and I knew where I was getting this stuff, so yeah. I was very confident with it. Now, I'm not suggesting that the guys who are doing it today aren't as confident as as, as I was. It's mm. just, it's very difficult to, to see, on the one hand, someone telling uh, CNN, um, you know, we we are uh, uh, single-handedly responsible for modernising the royal family, and then another another so-called aide saying, no, Harry's um, not so fragile, he's absolutely strong and fine. Well, he didn't look strong and fine on that on that uh, ITV documentary to
3: be perfectly honest well no but interestingly in America there's now a bit of a backlash because they've always turned a bit of a blind eye uh, to what's been going on with Meghan and Harry but Candace Owens who's a sort of a right wing commentator Mm. um, over in the US of A and also a black woman has really been critical of Meghan Markle using African children to try and sort of you know promote herself and also to sit in front of them and complain that her privileged lifestyle is sending her doolally and she's got a good point hasn't she? She has got an,
5: an excellent point. We, we've got two of the world's most privileged people standing in a country, which is one of the, the, the world's most underprivileged countries in the world, you know, uh, moaning about their life. They don't live in a, in a, uh, a ramshackle shack, no. you know, in Joburg. You know, they, they, they live in a very comfortable house, most of which we paid for in yes. refurbishment. Yes. See, and, and this is the other thing, you see, I have no problems with them wanting to be eco warriors or defending this and doing all sorts of charity working in there. But don't go ahead and take five private jets as their own, as a former press secretary to the Queen actually said, there are plenty of commercial flights you could take. You don't have to take private jets. And, 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 and you know, people like Elton John are saying, oh, I've compensated by putting um, money towards Oh, great, towards yeah, thanks, Elton.
6: Yeah.
5: But I haven't, I haven't actually seen the Meghan Markle or Prince Harry memorial tree <laughs> anywhere.
3: <laughs> well, if it's anything like Chris Martin from Coldplay, right, he planted <laughs> something like 40,000 trees in Sri Lanka to make up for Coldplay's international tour of seven continents, right? Unfortunately, the first 20,000 of them burned down. Um, and then the second 20,000 uh, were sort of died on the, uh, where they stood because there wasn't enough people to feed them.
5: Yes, well, at least, but at least he, he tried to plant a few trees. I don't know of any trees that have been planted in the names of Harry and Meghan no, so far. No, no. Um, now, you
3: said you didn't know what yeah. the solution was. I'll tell you what the solution is because that's what we do here. Right? The solution <laughs> is for them to leave this country, go and live in Beverly Hills, take no further part in the royal family basically renounce their membership of it and live as, as a pair of very wealthy um, and very pleasant um, entrepreneurs and possibly television producers and hang out with Oprah Winfrey uh, and George Clooney and, that, and then they'll have a fine life. And that view
5: that you've just expressed it appears to be a growing. Mm. Uh, it appears to be having growing support, and, and quite simply, people are fed up with all this moaning that they're coming up with. And if you don't like it, then just go and go somewhere else where you've got a, a lovely lifestyle. Forget about everything that's that 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 you do, or do it in private. You know, but you know, for all their charities, they need people like you and me to promote those charities so that those charities can get the money that they they get through to survive. So they do this all this great work, and then it all gets torn down again when they end up being spoilt brats. To be perfectly honest. Yes,
3: it really is horrendous, isn't it? And, and presumably, this feud that's going on between um, you know William and Harry is going to have to come to some kind of solution because there must be people, maybe including their father Prince Charles, who wants to see them uh, being friends again. You see, where
5: where where this feud is. is is going is I'm not sure whether there is a feud in the sense that they're actually at each other's throats. Mm. I think Harry is quite right where he says we're both on different paths. He's absolutely right. William's on a path where he's going to be one day, he's going to be king of this country.
6: Mm. Harry
5: is going on a different path, which should be to, um, you know, help those disadvantaged people, you know, things like the Invinctus Games and, 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 and everything else, um, and, and support his brother. Now, he's actually right when he says, you know, I still love my brother. My brother loves me. I'll support him and he supports me. But I don't know who these people are in the background who are talking because they are causing more problems for both brothers um, by keeping on saying things like feuds and battles and all that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah, exactly right. And she's clearly, I mean, a woman who would like to be queen. I mean, that's the other problem, I think. And maybe she's very who, jealous. Meghan? Yeah, I think she thinks well, I read of herself. The other,
5: I read the other day. I read the other day she was going to be running for president.
3: of <laughs> Oh, for God's sake. I mean, really, it's incredible, isn't it? But, I mean, she's clearly influencing him in a massive way. I've said before on this show that it's like one of your best mates gets hooked up with some, uh, some girlfriend and suddenly he doesn't come out anymore on a Friday night and suddenly he doesn't go to the football anymore on a Saturday and suddenly he's a different bloke. And until, and until such time as he works out that his life has been completely and utterly changed and, he, and he's broken up with her, he then goes, oh, I wish you'd told me. And you go, well, we tried to, but, you know, you I- won't listen.
5: I think that sort of thing happens in all relationships, not yeah. just royal relationships. You know that when people get together, that are you know, if you are in a relationship, you both have to make changes. And, yeah. and if we if we play our card right, we are the ones we men are the ones who've got to make more changes.
6: <laughs> I don't know.
3: It's been so long, Charles. I can't remember what it's like to be honest. But you know, it is ridiculous that we are in this place, and they just keep yeah. with every utterance. They're making it worse. So they should just yeah, shut up for a the- while.
5: And, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, the six weeks that they're supposed to be having off can't come fast enough. We need them to go away for six weeks. Yeah. That's what they want. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting if they are going to go to America for six weeks to spend time with her mother, who, yeah. who, who in all this is just total respectful woman. Uh, will, will that be the time to bring in Thomas? Well, you it know, might but, well uh,
3: be time for him to meet his uh, grandson, I'd be, isn't
5: I'd be, it? i would be, be fantastic if it was. But this is something that should have been sorted out. You know, way before the wedding, and you wouldn't have had half these problems yeah. at
3: all. But it'd be great if uh, they do turn up to uh, to meet up with with her father and and look who's standing right next to him—be Caroline, our old friend Caroline Graham, <laughs>
5: <laughs> or PNC with a whole load of cameras. Who, who seems
3: to follow him around uh, everywhere he goes? But there we are. Well, she's
5: do, she's doing very well, uh, you know, with Thomas Markle. and, yeah. and you know, going. But she's the one who got the letter. She didn't steal the letter. He gave he gave the letter. Yeah. This, uh, at the centre of this dispute to her to to compensate that her friends were selling to Telling People magazine mm. that he wasn't a great dad.
3: No, exactly anyway. right. It's all fascinating stuff. Charles, thanks very much indeed. We must talk again soon. Charles Ray, former Royal Editor of The Sun, a man who knows a thing or two about covering the royal family and when it was very, very competitive indeed. And if Meghan Markle thinks the tabloids are ruining her life, she should have been around when Princess Diana uh, was doing that kind of thing. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand 1000 is the number. We'll take your calls next on Talk Radio.
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's like
6: you're my
3: 03444991000 is the number. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. David says this on Twitter Mike, history has a habit of repeating itself. Remember Edward and Mrs. Simpson? Well, I don't actually remember them, but uh, I know that he abdicated the throne uh, in order to be with a woman uh, who he wanted to marry who wasn't American. Um, And so um, I'm not sure whether Harry has got any future in this country if he carries on the way that he's carrying on. If he wants to be some kind of philanthropist, if he wants to do charitable works, that's all great. But if he's going to be kicking off every time somebody writes something about him that he doesn't like, I'm afraid uh, he might as well just disappear off into some kind of South Pacific island where nobody ever sees him because it's not going to be any different when he moves to America. He can go to America and we can be rid of him and she can go with him, but it ain't going to be that easy, I'm afraid, to hide from the tabloids in the US of A either. Let's talk to Paul, who's in Burnley. Hello, Paul.
7: Morning, Mike. Morning, Uh, sir. Yeah, great to to hear you. You're a real tonic in the morning. Keep up the good work. Thank you very
3: much indeed. What can I do for you today?
7: Um, History in rock and pop shows that brothers tend to fall out. The kinks with the Davis brothers and famously Oasis with the Gallagher brothers. Yeah. Um, if the royal family were the Beatles, I think Meghan Markle is going to be your co
3: <laughs> That's interesting, actually, because I don't think um, the, the the Gallagher brothers fell out over, over women, did they? I mean, we know the Beatles did, but I don't think the Gallagher yeah. brothers
7: did. No, true, true. But I think that's I think that's what uh, what time will tell. And, and while we're on the, the uh, thing of uh, music, uh, kudos for for seeing the New York Dolls in New York. Fair play to you.
3: Yes absolutely right i mean the yeah. point, the point about uh, about the, the the royals though let's face it Paul is i don't think anyone would miss them if they disappeared would they
7: i don't think so i don't think so no I, and 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 I spoke to lots of people who believe that once the, the, the queen passes away. The, the interest and enthusiasm for the royal family might, might be on the wane, to be honest.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, they had been really sort of coming back, right? But Everybody really yeah. thought that William and Kate were the, were the, were the, were the business and then Harry and yeah. Meghan seemed like they were going to be nice. But, you know, yeah. they're, kind of, they're kicking off with all this nonsense about, um, you know, uh, mental health, that they have to talk about yeah. their mental health. It's not their job. You know, I know it's very fashionable to do that, but it is not the royal family's job to do that. Since, since, since Megan came
7: on the scene, he's gone from a, from a hero to a zero.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. It's absolutely ridiculous, Paul. Thanks very much indeed uh, for your call. Paul in Burnley there, talking as if um, uh, we didn't know uh, that he has gone from a hero to zero. I mean, Prince Harry used to be the most popular member of the royal family, you know? He was out there in Afghanistan fighting for his country. Uh, he was brave. He was a helicopter pilot. He was action man. He was the man that every woman wanted to date. He became this kind of, you know, party boy. He was pictured in Las Vegas, walking around naked in a hotel room with a lot of people. You know, this is a guy who likes to play billiards naked. Okay. now he wants to talk about, uh, you know, how fragile life can be and how he's worried every time he hears a camera flash going off. And lots of people have sympathy for him, of course, because of what happened to his mother. But unfortunately, he can't milk that and then complain... Uh, when he doesn't like something being written about him. You can't invade your own privacy, in the words of Piers Morgan, and then complain when somebody else makes a comment about it. If you are a celebrity, which she is, and you are a member of the royal family, which he is, then you am afraid you're going to have to put up with it, I'm afraid. And people will write nice things about you, as they did when you were in South Africa, as long as you are playing the game. And you can't just keep taking on newspapers and suing people and complaining about the coverage you get and lying to the papers and lying to the press That's not right,
2: I'm afraid. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury.
0: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
2: On Talk Radio.
3: the Independent Republic of Mike Gray, and Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock, of course. 0344 499 is the number. We'll take some of your calls coming up very shortly. Lots of you uh, still want to talk about withdrawal agreement. We're keeping an eye uh, on this so-called meeting going on currently between Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson and their respective teams. Uh, maybe they're working on some way of getting the Brexit withdrawal bill through before the end of October. You never know. Stay optimistic. Keep listening to the Independent Republic. We'll bring you the news when it happens. Right now, though, we're going to talk about a volocopter. And if you didn't know what that was, I'll tell you, it is apparently a flying taxi. It is something where two of you can get in, looks a bit like a helicopter, but looks a bit like a drone, uh, and you can fly around. Uh, they've done test runs in D- Dubai, in Helsinki, Las Vegas, Singapore uh, is the first one where it's, where it's been done uh, as part of uh, uh, the sort of the movements inside of a main city, though. Let's talk to Tom Cheesewright, who's a tech expert and applied futurist. Tom, a very good morning to you. Hello, Mike. Now, this thing looks pretty uh, sort of super science fiction-y to me, but I'm not sure I'd want to get in one, to be honest.
8: I think it's going to take a little while for people to get comfortable with this idea, particularly when it's a robot flying it, not a human being, which is the ultimate goal for these devices.
3: Well, that's right. I mean, does it have... I mean, the one that I'm looking at, I think, has an actual pilot. Um, Does that mean it has two additional seats plus a pilot, or is it just two seats and and, and a drone?
8: So the pilot is just for testing purposes. At the moment, there's no sort of licensing available for them to be completely autonomous with passengers in. And I think actually the passengers aren't quite comfortable with it yet either. It's going to take a couple of years, but ultimately these things will be flying without a pilot.
3: Yeah, and so where do they take off and land from, though? Because, I mean, there's so many questions I've got about this because it's hard enough now getting taxis uh, in any city that you're in because they're not allowed to stop in certain places. I mean, these things that fly, presumably they won't be able to just touch down anywhere, will they?
8: No, absolutely. You're going to have a, a space a bit like a helicopter landing pad. You know, it's rather smaller than an airport, and Volo itself has already set one up in Singapore. It's not licensed yet, but they have got the space to put one. But, and you, and you, can, you can, these things be relatively light as well. Um, they're also somewhat safer, potentially, than helicopters, because they're not carrying huge amounts of, of flammable fuel. So you could see these things start to pop up on the top of buildings, but they are going to be, you know, it's going to be a premium service. I think you'll see a lot in the city of London, yeah. you know, not, so many in the, not so many south of the river, perhaps.
6: No,
3: perhaps. That's a bit uh, anti- south of the river people it's very trendy south london now you know I'm not, have, I'm not gonna have this kind of prejudice against south london not least because i live there very very just about south of the river but i mean uh, i'm not sure about how does it work if you've got a, a, a sort of um, an automatic robot pilot do you would you be punching in your destination or would uh, uh, would it would it sort of be controlled from a central point or what
8: well, as you say, there's going to be a, a fixed number of places this thing can take off and land. So it will have a directory of, of possible landing spaces, okay. not a complete set of addresses. You might put in your destination, it'll tell you where the nearest place it can land is. Okay. And then it'll automatically route from one place to another using a combination of GPS and a variety of sensors around it that allow it to avoid obstacles and buildings and everything else.
3: OK, and I assume it has a sort of a life, a life as well, so you can't go too far in it, as it were. I mean, you can go from London to Birmingham in it or something.
8: No, absolutely. This all comes down to how much energy we can store in the batteries inside it. Right now, this copter and all of the other equivalents, there are lots of companies building things that look like this right now. They're all using lithium-ion batteries, mm. the same things we have in our phones and our laptops. Okay, And you know, they can only store so much energy for the amount of weight you can actually put into a copter. Mm. So you're looking at a, a limited range, probably going to be sort of... You may get between cities if they're maybe 50, 60 miles apart, Yeah, um, but that's going to be the absolute outside limit.
3: I mean, it'd be a good place to get across the river, I suppose, in London if you wanted to get... And you could- you know you didn't we weren't near a bridge particularly like in sort of parts of east london when you get down past canary wharf you know if you want to go across to the other side that's... this is i think
8: i think i think there's two real markets for these things one is in very congested cities where air pollution is bad perhaps where yeah. you don't want to sit in traffic and you can afford to pay the premium and it will be a premium service to jump up and over and get between different points within that yeah. city the other one is to get out between sort of you know, get outside cities out to airports out to other places like that at high speed mm. again where traffic is a big problem and again it will be a premium Sure,
3: and I suppose they could land on, on, on the roofs of buildings, couldn't they?
8: Absolutely, or increasing the rooms of buildings are, are pretty busy places. We're putting your five know, G uh, masts up there. We you've got all your uh, heating and ventilation and uh, air, c- air conditioning yep. equipment up there. You've got your solar panels up there. Increasingly, so yeah, the, the roofs of buildings could increasingly be a premium space for these things. Absolutely. Come
3: to although I remember, as I'm sure you may well, I'll remember the Pan Am Building in in New York, which is no longer called the Pan Am Building. It's now something else. But they used to land a helicopter there from JFK Airport. But it, it nearly fell off once because of the wind, and so it was all banned and they decided that, you know, that it wasn't safe enough to use. But I wonder if these things will be affected as much by the wind as well.
8: They absolutely will. In fact, the, the test flight of the helicopter was almost put off because of heavy rain. Yeah, particularly when you're in these dense urban areas, wind, uh, strong rain, these all make for big problems. They can affect the ability of the machines to sense what's going on around them. The wind can obviously blow them off course. They're quite lightweight as they naturally have to be in order to fly. So, you know, wind, wind and weather and particularly in these dense urban areas is going to be a real problem. Mm,
3: interesting stuff. And what about the, the dreaded um, sort of hacking of these things as well? Because that would be the other fear that people would have. you get in one, somebody hack and you end up finding yourself in somewhere dreadful like tooting.
8: This is an enormous threat, an enormous threat. These things are naturally connected. That means there is a way in from the outside right. digitally to break into them. Um, and also, you know, people could always you, corrupt the software, or even just bugs, frankly. You know, what you don't want is a bug in the software that causes it to go haywire. And there's going to be a lot, of, be a lot mm. of time, I think, before there's general trust in these things and before we have confidence that there isn't this sort of major cybersecurity threat because, we know, as we know, manufacturing plants, energy plants, all sorts of things have been, uh, have been attached by... Yeah. By, by hackers and, and transport would be an obvious target.
3: So, are we going to look out the window one day and it's going to all look a bit like the fifth element? I,
8: I- I think it's a little way off right now. I think if you live in one of the, if you live in you know London or Singapore or any sort of busy city, you will start to see these things pop up right. over the next sort of five, ten years. I think probably I think two to four years, which is what they're saying for the volocopter in Singapore, is probably a bit too soon for us.
3: Mm, okay, Tom. Thank, uh, thanks for talking to us. Very interesting stuff. Interesting times we get. Imagine being able to fly across the river uh, for I don't know ten quid. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Uh, Tom Chees right there, tech expert and applied futurist. Let's talk to Felix uh, who is in Slough. Hello, Felix. Hello again, mate. How are you?
9: I'm good. Well, I'm a bit depressed. Uh, (laughs) Aren't we all? Yes, Brexit delayed. I was really excited last week. I know. Uh, Back down again.
3: Uh, What do you think? Well, there's a meeting going on as we speak. I don't know what's going on inside that meeting, but presumably it is something to do with getting the bill through.
9: Yeah, it's all quite awkward, isn't it? I mean, you said earlier about... um, Oh well, they they can't change a treaty, you know. They can't tack on a customs union. That that's true. But what they're after doing, um, the Remain Alliance, is uh, to tack on the customs union to the future partnership, mm. isn't it? That that we're going to have to negotiate um, before Leave, you know, before uh, December twenty twenty, and uh, you know they can they can tack on the amendments for that in future to say that the future partnership must include yes. a customs union. Well, That's they
3: can they try that, it. but I don't think that could be part... I think that has to be separate because, for example, they're also trying to tack on something to do with the, um, the transition period being longer you know there's a there's a there's a thought that that should be increased yeah. because if the 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 feeling is that if the transition period doesn't work and it's not long enough and there's no real deals done then we leave without a deal in 2020 which was what that tory mp gave away the other day so um i just wonder whether um because all of this stuff that has to be negotiated still has to be negotiated you can't really put anything in this particular bill about withdrawing on how you're supposed to negotiate because it's not it's the next stage
9: that's true and it, it but they will try, and, you know, Boris hasn't got a majority. And, I mean, the thing is, if he then subsequently won an election, in the manifesto you could say, we're going to rip out all this stuff right. that they put in, and, and then you could do that.
3: Well, but possibly. possibly I, we yeah. see, my feeling is you can't put it in, and I think these people who are trying to put it in know that, and all they're really doing is trying to delay it more.
9: Well, they can't put it into this... To the thirty, what was going to be the thirty-first October, true? But they can try and mandate the government to include it in the future partnership.
6: Well, they, well, they could, except,
3: except that they say all of this stuff is about making sure we avoid no deal. Now, the mask will well and truly not only have, have slipped but will have fallen down the drain and out to the North Sea uh, if, in fact, they then start coming up with other excuses as to why they can't just put the deal through. Because they basically said, once we're passed October 31st and we've got an extension of some kind or other, um, then we're not worried about having a, a no-deal Brexit anymore. So we should be able to vote it through. And he, dep- he does appear to have enough support for the actual bill. Well, does
9: he? I, I think that was a case of Labour MPs in leave voting seats, giving themselves an excuse to say at the next election, see, I voted for it, Yeah. you know, and then 15 minutes later, basically stopping it. Because they'll just amend, they'll just Christmas tree it, won't they? They'll, they'll pack on loads of amendments. And the other problem is, um, you know, trying to call a general election is very difficult They'll try and tack on votes for 16- and 17-year-olds, maybe votes for EU citizens. They'll try and gerrymander the election too. It's it's not easy.
3: It's not easy, but all of the things that you're describing are all things which actually will not happen and cannot happen if Boris withdraws the bill. So, you know, they can only do those things if he doesn't withdraw the bill. And if he does withdraw the bill, they have to give him an election. You know, it's one or the other. I think they, I think he's boxed them in pretty well. They don't
9: have to give him an election, though. I've said this before.
3: Well, they will... I, I for, mean, for it their, becomes no, untenable. But, no, but for, football, their, own, for their own credibility, they have to say yes, they do. I yeah. think we've already had at least one. Uh, I think Richard Bergen said this morning uh, that basically after October 31st, they would be happy to do an election.
9: Yeah, but did you hear the SNP are starting to row back on that now? Yeah, of course. O- all right. But uh, after being in, they'll say they'll say what what suits them at the time, and then row back on it. Yeah, later. they'll
3: say anything if, if it pre- if yep. it prevents Brexit from happening. That's basically that what they're is, all about. That's the thing; they don't want us to leave. No.
9: Uh, and uh, you should see. You know, we both do. I know, but you know, every, the general public needs to see everything in that context. You know, that is the end goal.
3: Exactly right. And so everything they say is actually disingenuous, in my view. Felix, thank you very much indeed. More blasted
2: rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly
0: far (laughs) enough. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham
2: on Talk Radio.
3: This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 We've been listening to Boris Johnson of Prime Minister's Questions and Jeremy Corbyn. Colin says this on Twitter. Hearing Johnson bashing Corbyn over his support for the IRA was heartwarming. Even more intriguing that Corbyn ignored the comment he usually denies that he met them. Uh, Steve says this. If Corbyn is already so sure what's in Boris's deal, why does he need more time to study it? Let's face it, he knew how bad it was 30 minutes before it was published, didn't he? Well, he did say that, didn't he? He wasn't happy about the deal even before he'd seen it. Let's go back to the phones, though. Peter is in Wimbledon. Hello, Peter.
10: Hi, Mike. Good morning. Oh, Thank good you for taking the call. You kind of lighten up my day every day. You know, I listen to you, and it's from a entertaining point of view. is absolutely top notch. You know, Thank you uh, very absolutely.
3: much indeed. I appreciate all uh, your 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 views, and I, I I take it that you disagree with me on most things. But the fact that you listen is good enough for me.
10: Yeah, well, it is. I, you, you, you're exactly right. I disagree with you on most things, but I, from an entertaining point of view, I mean. I can't just stop laughing when I hear like, expert after expert on, on New Deal, or No Deal, mm. on WTO calling in your show and saying how great it will be, have a clean break, or how good it is for this country, even though every single impact assessment is telling us it is going to be bad. Yeah. When did you, you hear anyone? Bad... I, didn't,
3: I didn't talk about No Deal this morning. I think what I said was that it's more than likely now that people don't want No Deal because it seems that we have a perfectly good deal. So why don't we just go with that?
10: Well, yeah, we can go with that, but we need to allow our parliamentarians, the ones we elect in the parliament, to scrutinise, examine, and uh, hold government to task.
3: Yes, how long do you think think they need for that?
10: Well, uh, as long as it takes, because... Well, how uh, long is that? Well, we're talking about the most complex and important matter in in this country, faced for generations, and you can imagine, like, 40 years of integration and uh, and intricate details of all the deals we had, the European Union, and all different fields, you know you can imagine how difficult it would be to unpick and put out... Well, I don't think it's any more
3: more difficult than concentrating the minds about the Maastricht Treaty, and they talked about the Maastricht Treaty for a few days. They didn't have to take months to do it.
10: Well, the thing is that, you know, whatever it took them to to extend our membership, the deal, whatever we had at the time, takes easier because now we're unpicking 40 years of our relationship, you know, not just like few different uh, no, you're changes not. here. No, you're and not. There. You're not so you un- no, you're not actually.
3: We- no, you're not actually, Peter. You're, you're not. not unpicking anything. What we are doing with the withdrawal bill uh, is setting out the plan for the future, which is still yet to be determined. So you're not actually unpicking anything as such. You're renegotiating once the withdrawal bill is complete. So you don't actually have to put that much complex information in the withdrawal bill. Well,
10: there is a lot of information. There was 110 pages of new information which need to be absorbed. Well, exactly. it's not
3: 110 pages of new information. According to Jeremy Corbyn, it's a reheated version of Theresa May's deal, which is already scrutinised.
10: Well, Mike, I don't to hold uh, Jeremy Corbyn in high regard anyway, and I think part of the problem we are where we are because Corbyn is absolutely useless when it comes to being leader of opposition. That's why uh, our current government... Finally, something we agree about, Peter. Absolutely. I mean, I, this is, you know, I, I used to be a Tory voter all my life, uh-huh. but now I can't bear voting for them because you've got the biggest liar and the common in British political history after Farage taking it. So he's not the biggest up. then? Well, he's the biggest after. Oh, second well, biggest, that's the yes? second
3: biggest then. It's not the biggest, oh, is wait.
10: it? Well, yeah, of course not. And, and the thing is that... Who's the third you Brexit, biggest? You, but you, well, the first biggest is Nigel, of course. No, no, you, third biggest, that's it. Well, the third... I oh, don't know. I haven't thought about it. Oh, OK. Well, well, I'm saying to you guys, Brexiteers, you're you kind of... You keep each other saying, on, saying I'm, a
3: Bre- I'm not a Brexiteer, Peter. You keep saying that. I'm not one.
10: Well, well, How did you vote then? I didn't vote. You didn't vote at all? No. You've got no opinion on this.
3: No, I have many many opinions, Peter, but I have a a very pure view of politics and journalism, and I believe that if you're a journalist, you shouldn't vote because basically that then tempers you one side or the other. So I prefer to stay neutral, and when the result is the result, I support it because I'm a Democrat.
10: Well, if you're a Democrat, you surely should be supporting the idea that you know giving people opinion to change their mind because... Looks like no. You only agree, no, I you don't only support agree. that.
3: I'll tell you why well, I well, don't support that, Peter, because they can change their mind if they want to have another referendum after we've enacted the first one. You don't just change your mind without ever enacting the one that you voted for in the first place, and that would be my point.
10: Well, you can only do that, Mike. I can agree with you if whatever was promised in 2016 was on a plate. No. But it's not. If I promise you A, B, C, and D, and then in the end of it, I deliver you X, Y, and Z, surely you're going to say, hold on a second. What, well, are you making alphabet it- soup now? Well, I'm trying to sell you a car and suddenly you look at the car look all shiny, I don't think I'd then, buy a car from and, you Peter to be honest and, and, and then you say oh can I have a look under the bonnet and I say no 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 you can't yeah well then would I you, wouldn't well, buy it would I well exactly that's what I'm saying well People, that's the wrong I mean, analogy that's the, well, your,
3: what, your, you would have made a better analogy if you'd said I showed you what's under the bonnet but then when I actually delivered the car I'd already removed the engine that would have been a much better analogy but try well, again what? tomorrow Peter uh, you're not quite there yet